Yeah? Hosea. Chapter 1. You have your little sheet there. We're moving right along here. One of these days we'll hit the New Testament. Hey, Ryan. What's up, man? I just prayed and you appeared. It's like, wow. Um, so 14 chapters, 197 verses, 5,174 words. Uh, the, the, the book spans, um, I didn't put this on your sheet, I don't think, 785 B.C. to 725 B.C. So you got about 60 years uh, covering the span of the book. Uh, Hosea is a contemporary with um, some other prophets in your Bible. Amos, Isaiah, and Micah. So if you think about who you, know, you want to put this book together, Hosea, uh, Hosea Amos, Isaiah, Micah, they're all kind of ministering at about the same time. And uh, Hosea 1.1 says, look at that right there, he kind of spanned a whole bunch of kings, right? Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, uh, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. And if you really kind of map that out, he was, even though the book spans 60 years, it looks like his ministry spanned 72 years. So, I mean, that's a lot of preaching and prophesying. I mean... Would to, all, would to God all of us could have longevity like that, right? If the Lord tarries, I'd rather he came yesterday. But uh, it is primarily directed to, Hosea is primarily directed to Israel. And when I say Israel, I mean the ten northern tribes. You will see the word um, Ephraim used 37 times in the book. Ephraim is God's designation for the northern tribes, right? When it's split under Solomon, right? After Solomon, you had 10 tribes go to the north. That's technically called Israel. And the two tribes go to the south. That's the kingdom of Judah. And God calls the northern tribe Ephraim. And Ephraim is really who he's directing his, his ministry to. Hosea 1-2 is really uh, the sad domestic trial that Hosea had to go through. It says, go, right? At the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms. So he is asked to deal with the unfaithfulness of his wife. And that is really the whole book hangs on that. The whole book hangs on the picture of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. Not Gomer Pyle, Gomer, right? I definitely dated myself right there. Uh, the key word of the book, as you see on your sheet, is return, return, return. It is mentioned 15 times in the book of Hosea, return. That's why we're calling it the book for backsliders. Because even though it immediately deals with Israel and the nation, it really, we could take so much from it. And the message of the book we'll get to at the end is God's method of restoring backsliders. How does God woo people back to himself? Because we all wander away. Right? If you say, not me, then it's you. Okay? <laughs> right? Uh, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Right? So this is God's book for backsliders, and it's such an encouraging book to see the heart of God, how far he'll go to woo us back to himself. So the breakdown is there. Uh, it's kind of a hard book to outline, so you can follow along with that outline. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, down in the comments. I have all these notes in the comments. So let's get into some of the pictures. We have some really nice pictures in the book of Hosea because the book of Hosea really hinges on these pictures. So let's look at Hosea 1, verse 2. Picture number 1. Picture number 1, we could say, 
is a picture of Israel and Jehovah. The first picture is Israel and Jehovah. All right? Remember, Jesus Christ has a bride, right? Who's Jesus Christ's bride? The church. God has a, the Father has a bride too. Did I get really loud? The Father's bride is Israel. So look at uh, Hosea 1-2. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. There's a picture of Israel and Jehovah. God tells the prophet to marry a harlot, right? To picture Israel's relationship with God. How's that for God talking about his own people? He says, look what he says there. He says, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms for the land have committed great whoredom. He says, do this because Israel has committed this great sin. So he's telling you right there that he's doing this to picture my relationship with my nation. Now, if you look at verses 3 to 9, these two people, Hosea and Gomer, they have uh, two sons and one daughter whose names are very significant. You see in verse number 4, um, they have a son named Jezreel. Jezreel means God sows or God scatters. Verse number 6, they have a daughter named Loruhama. That name means not having obtained mercy, not having obtained pity, not pitied. And then they have another son in verse 9, whose name is Loami, which means not my people. Let's put it all together, shall we? You're going to marry this harlot, and then you're going to have some children, and it's going to be God scatters not having obtained mercy, not my people. What's the story? God scattered Israel among the heathen because of their sin, and he's not pitying them, and he says, you're not my people anymore. You're not obtaining mercy anymore. I'm scattering you because of your whoredoms, because of your adulterous heart towards me. You see, you got to pay attention to the names in the Bible, the order in the Bible. God didn't just tell you explicitly some things. He showed you implicitly some things. So there's some beautiful pictures here that's going on. And the Lord chose this harlot to illustrate Israel's unworthiness of being chosen. I mean, think about that. Jose, I want you to go get married. Oh, fantastic. Go marry that harlot down the street. Like, wow. You know, I mean, a woman like Gomer didn't deserve a marriage to Hosea. Do you see that? She had no standing. I mean, this woman is a woman of ill repute. What is she doing marrying the man of God? That is a picture of Israel and Jehovah. Israel didn't deserve Jehovah. There was nothing special about them. There was no kind of inherent goodness about them. In fact, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Lord talks about that in the book of Deuteronomy. Now, it's easy for us as Christians to even think that way, right? Oh, God saved me and God didn't save that other one. Right? Don't ever think that there was something special about you that caused God to reach down and save you. The only smart thing you did in the life was accept Jesus Christ and receive Him as your personal Savior. 
right? You're just as good as the rest of the pile of dung that was going to get burned. At the, in the, you know, um, and it's you know that's why it's really dangerous. I'm going to just go on a soapbox here for a second, right? To think that you might be part of some chosen group, like an elect, because that could start getting you get it can make you hard towards people, and start thinking, well, I'm I've been chosen and they're not. I'm you know blah 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 blah. Right? And I don't know how all that works. But I do know that God gave us a free will and nobody's special. Everybody's lost and they need Jesus Christ. But in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, look at verse 7. The Lord is telling His people this. He says in Deuteronomy 7, 7, The Lord did not set His, hey, what's up, man? The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. I mean, these Jewish people, this little... You know, this little speck in the Middle East that was wrapped around idolatry and living like among these pagans. You know, there was nothing magical about them. Verse 8, But because the Lord loved you, and because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. A people like Israel didn't deserve a marriage to Jehovah. We got to get that, Right? And sometimes some, you know, some of our Jewish friends, you know, they think, well, I'm special because of my national identity. You are, you're set apart, but there's no inherent goodness in you. God says you weren't amazing, you weren't darlings, you weren't like, you know, just beautiful little gems. You were a bunch of losers, and I just chose to put my love upon you to be a spectacle to the world, to demonstrate to the world the greatness of my love. And if I could pick this little speck that's wrapped and living in their blood, wrapped up in idolatry and all these pagan people surrounding them, if I could make something great out of you, wow, the world will look at me and know how great I am. Right? Uh, Now, spiritually, that's doctrinal, right? Spiritually, Christian, hello, (laughs) you don't deserve Jesus Christ. You and I don't deserve, I think it was Jacob who said when he was running from his brother, I am not worthy of the least of thy mercies. <laughs> and we're not worthy of the least of his mercies. It is all of grace. It is all his goodness. It is all his kindness. It is all his long suffering. I'm just, I was just smart enough to say, Lord, let me in. You know, <laughs> I want to receive you. So that's a big, big picture. Let's look at another picture in chapter two. Let's go back to Hosea. That makes sense? Yes. I didn't start too hard there. That was, we're, we're building up. We're going to, Pete, I know you thought you deserved it, Pete. I know you thought you thought because you're so funny and so charming that surely Jesus, surely Jesus wants me. You know, and that's a good attitude to have, you know, because you show up at the rescue mission and you think like, well, you know, these guys really need Jesus. <laughs> or you go knock on doors in an expensive neighborhood and you think, you know. Do these people need Jesus? Yeah, they, they're all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Nobody deserves any goodness from God. That's why it's grace. Amen. Unmerited favor. <laughs> Undeserved kindness. And Hosea chapter 2 is our second picture. Our, section, our second picture is um, similar to the first, but it's a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness. So the first picture is about just Israel's relationship. And the second picture we see in verses 1 to 5 of Hosea chapter 2 is a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to her husband. 
We've established in chapter 1 that this is a marriage, right? Hosea, you marry Gomer. I'm marrying Israel. Hosea, you've been, your wife has been unfaithful. Guess what? I've been there, Hosea. I've done that because my wife Israel has been very unfaithful. You see verse number 1, Hosea 2.1? Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruama. Notice God is appealing to Ami. You know what Ami means? My people. And Ruama, which means who obtained mercy. He's appealing to his people who obtained mercy. He's like, hey, Israel, I plucked you out of the junk heap. You are my people. You obtained mercy. I'm reaching out to you. Now, remember, in chapter 1, he said, your children are going to be called Loami and Loruama because because of your unfaithfulness, you are not my people. You're not going to obtain mercy. But in chapter 2, he's appealing to them. He goes, you were my people. You did obtain mercy. Look at verse number 2. Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife. You see that? Neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. He's saying right there, I've divorced myself from this adulterous bride. God is divorced. I've said it many times. We get really hung up on divorce, but God is divorced. He says, she's not my wife. She was. She's not anymore. Right? Keep reading verse 3. Lest I strip her naked and set her, watch this, as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. Notice the beginning of the verse says, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born. God warns Israel of what she was and where she was without him. He says, remember the day you were born? Remember where I found you? I could take everything away from you, Israel, and you could be just as much a mess as when I found you. Did you forget, he says? Look at Ezekiel chapter 16. I'll show you. God describes having found Israel. And a lot of people like to preach Ezekiel 16. I'm sorry. Ezekiel 16. A lot of people like to preach this as um, salvation verses, but they're really not. They could be used that way, but doctrinally, it's about Israel. It's about God finding Israel as a nation. And he says in Ezekiel 16, verse 1, it says, Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations, and say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem. Watch this, ready? Remember? Thy birth. Remember what Hosea said? It'll be like as in the day you were born. I'll bring you back to where I found you. He says, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite and thy mother an Hittite. And as for thy nativity, in the day thou was born, thy navel was not cut. You were attached to the pagan worlds around you. Right? Like a baby is attached to her mama until they cut the cord. He says, you were attached to all these pagan people that were dragging you down. Look what he says. Thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. 
Yeah, I said unto thee when thou wast in thy blood, live. God likens Israel to a baby just being born, like struggling to live, just still attached to the world around her, just gasping in its own blood. And God came by and saved that people. And you and I could take some great spiritual lessons from that because God saw you struggling and God saw you, you know, just drowning in your own mess and God said, here's life. But that's a spiritual application. Doctrinally, he's saying there was a nation attached to the pagan world all around them, struggling to live, struggling to breathe, struggling to survive. Nobody wanted to give her any compassion. And Jehovah God said, live. I'll make you my people. He's a gracious God. Gracious God. Amen, amen. All right? I wonder... Go back to Hosea 2. Leave something in Hosea. I wonder, my dear brethren, have you forgotten where you were and what you were when the Lord found you? Easy to forget. And the Lord says, sometimes I might put you through some things so you remember. I'll put you back to where you were before I found you. And you'll remember how it was to struggle and gasp and be attached and be bleeding out, so to speak. And the Lord says, hey, don't forget, Israel forgot. Every time Israel forgot, she got in trouble. And he's telling us, don't forget. Go back to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 14. Jump down to 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. It looks like The Lord's going to give Israel another wilderness experience. He brings her into the wilderness. And in that time of trial and testing and temptation, He's going to humble her. He's going to do it in the tribulation. He did in the past. In fact, if you go to chapter 8 of Hosea, it looks like it's going to be like when they were in Egypt again. Right? Hosea 8.14. Is that what I want? 8.13, I'm sorry, 8.13. 8.13, Hosea. They sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepteth them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. So remember how Israel was brought into bondage, and in that bondage they were so afflicted that they called out to God and God delivered them? where it looks like Israel, in her apostate, unfaithful condition, God's going to bring her into a wilderness of sorts, an Egypt experience, where she's going to feel that bondage, she's going to feel that affliction, she's going to turn to God, and then it's on. Right? So it looks like that's going to repeat. Verse 18. Verse 18. And in that day, remember what does in that day stand for, class? When you see that, what does it mean, in that day? Tribulation, more precisely than tribulation. What, what, what? You said it? Second, Second coming. Very good. Who's your daddy? Right, right. Second coming, right? In that, I mean, tribulation's wrapped up in it, but more precisely, when you see that phrase, in that day, it's the second coming of Christ. So they've gone into the wilderness. The Lord has allured them in their trouble. They've turned to Him, and it says in verse number 18, and in that day I will make a covenant for them, that's the new covenant, with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground, and I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. That's what the good shepherd does, right? He's making me to lie down, right? That's what he's going to do. He's going to lead them. You see how this Bible, you think these are just devotional passages? 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's going to literally be fulfilled in the tribulation. When a nation is going to be walking through a valley of a shadow of death. Now, people speculate about what that shadow of death is. Is it a bomber going over their head? There's all types of speculation. But something's going over their head that's a shadow of death in the tribulation. And God's protecting them. And that shepherd maketh me to lie down safely. Makes me lie down by those green pastures. And over here it says he's going to make them to lie down safely. His sheep, his flock are going to have safety. Uh, And watch this. Here's the marriage again. Here's the remarriage, I should say. Because God is not just divorced. He's going to get remarried. All right? So tell that to your Pharisee preachers. All right? And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. So their affliction ends in deliverance and Israel's restoration. It ends in them getting married to Jehovah again. God changes the law and makes a new covenant with them because under the old covenant, he couldn't marry them again. In Moses' law, you couldn't marry a woman that you put away. So God says, ha, I'm going to have to scrap the old law. I'm going to bring in a new covenant. And under the new covenant, I can betroth you unto me forever. God is, (laughs) who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor? Amen. Look at chapter three. Let me give you another picture. Am I making sense so far? You're very quiet today. You're making me nervous. It's okay. I'll shout a little bit. I'll wake you up. Don't worry. Third picture. Thank you, Eli. All right. Third picture. All right. So we've got a picture of Israel and Jehovah, a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness, and now a picture of, of Jehovah's care, even for his wayward nation. Jehovah's care. I told you the whole book hangs on this relationship between Hosea and Gomer. All right. Here we go. Even in her disobedience. Look at Hosea 3.1. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet. Love a woman beloved of her friend. Yet an adulteress. Love her. Even though she's stepping out on you. Love her. Even though she's unfaithful to you. Take care of her. Even though she's been so disobedient to you. According to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. Wow. Love that woman who's stepping out on you the same way I love your nation who steps out on me. We can't fathom the love of God. I could emphasize it, draw an illustration, get a word picture, be emphatic, but we need the Holy Spirit of God right now to help us to really fathom the depth of His love towards us and towards that nation. That nation is meant to teach us because if He can love them, He could love us, right? And... um, The prophet is told to love her even though it doesn't look like he's dwelling with her. She's an adulteress. Still loving her. Come back to that thought. Look at verse 2. So I bought her unto me for 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and a half omer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man, so will I also be for thee. Now, they're alienated here, folks. She's an adulteress, but he's saying, you're still going to be for me. I made some kind of provision here. He bought some stuff for them. You see what he's done? He paid some silver. He bought some barley. It looks like it looks like there's some kind of provision made for her, some kind of conditions to kind of take care of her, even though they're not together. Starting to see the picture a little bit yet? Verse 4 and 5. I'll I'll pull it all together in a second. For 
The children of Israel shall abide many days without a king. That's the truth. And without a prince. That's the truth. We'll talk about who that prince is in a second. And without a sacrifice. And without an image. And without an ephod. And without teraphim. Afterward, whatever that space of time is, which we're living in right now, shall the children of Israel, there's that word, return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, hello, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So here's what's going on. Where is Israel now spiritually? She's, she's playing the harlot. She's not, she's not walking with God. I don't care how, how broad they make their phylacteries. You draw, where is, where's my mom and these? By Borough Park over there? What is that? Where's yeah. Right? But, you know, you could, you, one time my wife had to go get a procedure done over there, and I had to park and just sit there, and it was like summertime, I think. And they're wearing their wool coats and their big fuzzy hats, and they're riding bicycles, and it's like they're walking around. And they, you know, there's a certain pride in that, you know, to walk around and look how different they are, a, a gazing stock. But you know what? As separate as they look, they're not walking with God. God is nowhere near any of that stuff. But they're still set apart for God. You see that? You see what he said in verse number three? He says, you're not going to be for another man. Israel is not living as Jehovah's wife today, but she's still living a separate life. God made her separate. Even though she's not walking with God, God has taken care of that nation. Eli could tell you the stories, 67 war, all this stuff, right? Think about the amazing miracles that God has wrought to protect that little nation. That little nation that is still set aside, even though she's not walking with Jehovah, God says, you're not for anybody else. You're still my nation, even though we're alienated, even though we're not walking together, even though you're wicked as sin, I'm still set you apart. Doesn't that, that's, a, that's amazing. Amen. The Bible said that Amen. thousands Amen. of years ago. said this nation was going to be an adulterous nation. I'm going to take care of her. She's going to be separate and different even though she's not walking with me. Who is that about? Right. It's Israel. It's being fulfilled today. It's being right. fulfilled right now that there's a nation set apart still. I, hey, people say, it happens in my school all the time. People say, oh, I'm Muslim. I'm Catholic. What are you? I'm Jewish. What nationality are you? I'm Jewish. What religion are you? I'm Jewish. It's one for them, right? It's the same. It's a special nation. It's not like, well, I'm Italian and I'm Catholic or I'm, you know, I'm Irish and I'm Protestant. No, I'm Jewish, right? Their nationality and their religion are all kind of wrapped up together. It's a special thing that God has ordained there. You know what he said? You know what, um, you know what Balaam prophesied in Numbers chapter 23, verse 9? It's a good verse to write down. He said this, speaking of Israel, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. She's different. She's always been different. She's different right now. Just ask the United Nations. They don't treat Israel like they treat everybody else. I don't think she gets a vote when it's the big time to vote. Right? They vote on things that affect her, and she doesn't get a say. Now, us as God-fearing Americans, our blood boils when somebody like, give me liberty or give me death. You know, we want to take up arms and throw the tea in the harbor when something like that happens. It happens to them all the time. It's been happening to them for 70 years. 
They're separate, they're set apart, they're different. Verse 3 says, you're not going to be for another man. You're always going to be my people, even though you're alienated from me and playing the adulteress's role. Wow. And in verse number 5, you notice, just a little, give you a little preview. David is coming back in the millennium to reign over Israel, by the way. You see it in Ezekiel. You see it here. You say, where's David? What's going on with David? David is coming back, and he's going to reign over Israel in the millennium. Just want to throw that out there. Let's keep going. I think I got one more picture. I got two more pictures, all right? And I have no watch on. There we go. Uh, Go to chapter 5. All right? Fourth picture. Israel's repentance. We're going to see Israel's cry. Israel and Jehovah, right? We see their relationship. We see her unfaithfulness. We see God caring for her, even though she's not walking with him. We see Israel's repentance now. It's kind of like building, right? We're going in a direction here. Uh, Look at verse... uh, At the end of the Great Tribulation, folks, Israel is going to cry out to Jehovah. Amazing, right? I don't know. Maybe maybe it doesn't process... But this nation that has been so set, a, set apart from him, walking so unfaithfully to him, is going to be brought into the wilderness, be brought to the end of herself, be brought through such affliction that all she could do is look up and cry, and my goodness, he's going to split the eastern sky. And we see that pictured here. I mean, you want to talk about Star Wars? <laughs> you want to talk about battle? You know, I like, um, who doesn't like watching a good battle? I mean, if you've got any kind of red blood in you, you got a lot. I mean, you turn on like two towers and you watch the battle at Helm's Deep on Lord of the Rings. I mean, I could watch that thing like over and over again. I just, that, is a great, that is a great scene. Just watch it. Swords clashing and guys, you know, ride out with me. You know, you know just all that stuff. There. I, mean, I, just, I don't know how you go, you know. I, I'm not Scottish. Sorry, Pastor Mike, if you're watching this. But I'm, I don't get too into Braveheart. But I mean, you get me like the opening scene of Gladiator. I mean, come on now. I mean, I don't know how you can't just, you know. What we do in life echoes in eternity, and you start riding out with the cavalry like that. It's just something like, man, this, that's all fiction. This is fact. There's going to be a battle. There's going to be enemies surrounding these people. They're going to be in distress. And in distress, she's going to cry out to God, and her champion on that white steed is going to split the eastern sky. What? Man, I'm... I'm making connections to Lord of the Rings. What does Gandalf tell them? Look to the east. <laughs> and the sun's going to come down. They see the price. Right? Look to the east, man. When that thing happens, that eastern sky is going to split and a, a light that is going to be seen across the globe is going to come piercing down and just trotting down these villains. Man, I'm glad you're excited about that. Isaiah 5.14. He says in 5.14, For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion. And as a young lion to the house of Judah, I, even I, will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue him. I will go and return to my place, hello, till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction. They will seek me early. To the unrepentant, the Lord is as a lion, right? Who's the lion? Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know who's roaming the earth during the Great Tribulation? The lion. 
God says, you don't want to repent, Israel. You don't want to turn to me, Israel. I'm going to be to you like a lion. I'm going to let that dog off his leash and he's going to tear and bite and take away and devour. And I'm going to return to my place. I think Jesus said something about going to a place, right? I'm going to go and return to my place till you acknowledge your iniquity, till you acknowledge your offense in your affliction. Great tribulation. That's when you'll seek me. I'm going to leave. I'm going to have to bring you through some rough waters and then you'll seek me. I wish it wasn't like that. I wish we sought Him when everything was wonderful, but God has to just, our, our edemic nature just needs to be whittled down. Hosea 6.1. So look how it pivots now. Chapter 5 ends with what? Affliction. Chapter 6. This is beautiful. This is the repentance of the remnant in the last days. See it? Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. Woo! Man! Notice who's talking there. It's not an I, it's an us. That's a nation talking right there. That's a remnant talking right there saying, you know what? Let us return. He's torn us, we've gone through great tribulation, and He's going to heal us. Notice um, verse number 2. Notice in verse number 2 the timing of the second advent. After two days will He revive us. In the third day He will raise us up and we, corporate, national, shall live in His sight. Notice after two days, 1,000, 2,000. And in the third day, that third day, that third thousand year is going to get humming and he's going to raise Israel up after two days in that third day. Don't you remember all throughout the Gospels? What does it say about Jesus? In the third day, the Son of Man will rise again. First coming. But there's a doctrinal application to the future because the Son of Righteousness rises In the third day, in the third day, he rises again. 1,000, a 2,000. That third day is coming up, folks. We're right at that third day. The night is far spent. The day is at hand, right? It's the third day since he's been gone, not, right? 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, right? Just, Just for your digestion there, just think about that. First coming, he'll rise again the third day. I know it happened. Second coming, he rises in the third day, right? Uh, Hosea chapter 6, verse 3, right there. Now watch this. Then shall we know, man, if we follow on to know the Lord, his, that's the Lord, his going forth is prepared as the morning. His going forth is the same way the morning comes. After the night, the sun rises. And that's what his going forth is going to be, right? The sun of righteousness is going to rise with healing in his wings. The church age is called the night. We're in the night right now. The sun comes out after the night. So after the night is spent, the sun rises. Hello? That's when he's coming. That's, this, that's another picture. I got one more picture before we give you the big idea. Number five. Ah, here we go. So let's bring it back to present day. Israel's condition. That's the last picture. So we've got some prophetic things, right? We've got um, Israel and Jehovah. We could say this is like relationship. 
We've got Israel's unfaithfulness, right? That's her, that's her adultery. Jehovah's care. Uh, Israel's repentance, that's future. This is today, <laughs> right? And now we get snapped back, right? That's future. And this is Israel's condition now without God. And it's going to have a little preaching in there because it says something about your condition without God. All right? 6-4. Ready? This is before the Lord restores His people, before He reconciles them, before He regenerates them. What are they like? Okay? 6-4. O Ephraim. You see there's a paragraph mark after three, so there's a change in thought. O Ephraim. That's what that little symbol is. If your Bible has those little symbols, those are paragraph marks. That's a new thought. Okay, class, when you right, getting this down, this is notes, right? When you, you make a new paragraph and you start a new bunch of thoughts. Don't just jumble them all together. You make a new paragraph. My English teacher is twitching in me. You make a new paragraph and you indent, right, when you make a new thought. You got that? You got that? You got that? Back there, homeschoolers? You make a new paragraph and it's a new thought. So when God makes a new thought, he makes a new paragraph. O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as the early dew it goeth away. You know what Israel is first? Like a morning cloud and dew that goes away. You know what that means? There's nothing refreshing about her. You see a cloud in the morning. Back then they wanted it to rain for their crops. You see a morning, oh, it's going to rain, and then it just goes away. You're not refreshing me, Israel. There's nothing refreshing about you, Israel. And guess what? When a Christian is drying up and out of fellowship with God, there ain't nothing refreshing about him. You don't want to be around him. You don't want to be around her. I've heard it said, and I think it's very true. There is nothing more miserable than a Christian out of fellowship with God. They're the most miserable people to be around. Nothing refreshing. That's the first thing. 7-4. Go to chapter 7, verse 4. They are all adulterers as an oven heated by the baker who ceaseth from raising after he hath kneaded the dough until it be leavened. Jump to verse 8. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. You know what the second thing about the condition is? Israel is not just as a morning cloud, not just lacking any refreshing moisture, but Israel without God is leavened and half-baked, like a cake not turned. Yeah, half-baked. You know what it means when you're half-baked? There's another word when you say half-baked. That's not nice, right? You're half-baked. You're polluted to the point of lukewarm. You've mixed yourself among the nations. I heated the oven. I wanted to make you into something great, but you never went all the way, Israel. You mingled with other people. The leaven got in there, and I never turned you over. You never finished cooking, and you're leavened, and you're half-baked, and you're lukewarm. A lot of Christians are like that. Just not all the way. Just a little bit. Little bit of passion, but not much. Lukewarm. A cake not turned. All right? Chapter 8, verse 8. Another picture of Israel's condition here without God. A morning cloud, half-baked, 8-8. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. For they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. You know what she's pictured there as? Yes, a vessel where there is no pleasure. I see that. That's 
Jeremiah 18 talks about that too. But really the big picture there is like a wild ass. Lost, because the ass picture is a lost person. Lost and wild and looking to be satisfied like a beast. Just following urges, following passions, following desires, not following any love for God. Just think about it. A beast doesn't do anything higher, spiritual, and noble. A beast has two motivations. Eat and make other baby beasts. And so he says, hey, Israel, you've turned into that. You're, just, you're lost and you're just seeking something from people that you shouldn't be seeking stuff from. A lot of Christians get like that. We get a fellowship with God. We become like Asaph, like a beast before him, just sniffing around in a pig pen like a prodigal son. Right? The prodigal son was like a beast sniffing around for husks among the swine. Israel is a prodigal son. It all comes together. You see it all dovetailing together, all the pictures overlapping, right? I like the prodigal son story. It's a great, I preach is nice, but it's about Israel. It's really about Israel. I'll keep going, keep going. Chapter 10, verse 1. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, not God's fruit, he hath increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They have made goodly images. Next thing I see here about her condition without God, she's an empty vine. You know what an empty vine does? You know why it's empty? What's what's not on an empty vine? No fruit. God wants you to bring forth fruit. God says, I planted you, Isaiah 5, as a choice vine, but you, I looked for it that it would bring forth grapes. It's not bringing forth anything I want. You know, when Christians get a fellowship with God, you know what the phrase we talk about? Dying on the vine. Oh, they're just drying on the vine or dying on the vine. You know, we stop bringing forth fruit. It doesn't mean people keep getting saved. That's, that's not the fruit. It's all the fruit God talks about. Is there any love, joy, peace? long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, any of that fruit of the Spirit Amen. as you're plugged Amen. into God and walking with Him? Amen. Keep going with me. Chapter 10, last one, verse 12. It has a beautiful ending, but it's a tough book. God is very soberly diagnosing His people. Them and us. 10, 12. It's a great verse, right? We love this verse. We talk about it. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. You know what fallow ground is? I had to look it up. I'm not a farmer. I'd like to be in another life. But fallow ground is ground that's usually cultivated land. Usually land that you could cultivate to bring forth crops. But it's been left idle. It's been allowed to stay idle so it doesn't bring forth anything. And Israel was meant to be a cultivated land. Israel is meant to be a fruitful garden. You know what God did with her? He just left her idle. She's not bringing forth anything. So he says, break up your fallow ground, that hard clod. Why? So the seed can get in there again, folks. So my word could get in there. So you can sow to yourselves in righteousness. Why? Because you're playing the harlot. You're playing the harlot. Sow to yourselves in righteousness and break up your fallow ground because I'm going to send that rain 
So the seed can bear forth fruit. Are you seeing all those pictures? That early and latter rain. Israel's been put on the shelf. You know what scares me? I don't ever want the Lord to put me on a shelf. I'm, I'm, I mean, Eli and I have talked about this. We talk, and we're not spiritual. It actually scares me. I'm afraid that God would stop talking to me. I'm afraid that God would stop hearing my prayers. I'm afraid that God would stop using me. There's verses in the Bible that talks about like the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. I've always been so afraid that, Lord, keep me fearing you the right way so I keep learning about you, you know? Um, that's a healthy fear. That's why you, there are some healthy fears, right? That's why you buckle your seatbelt on the way home so you don't go through the windshield, right? That's a healthy fear, right? Uh, it's a healthy fear, you know, to not want to play in traffic, right? And it's a healthy fear to have enough awe and respect and reverence for a holy God that you don't want Him to turn His back on you. And because He could put you on a shelf. Amen. And you could lose time and lose years and use blessings. And I don't want that to happen, and the Lord doesn't want that to happen, so sow to yourselves in righteousness. So let's get to the big idea. Let's go to Hosea chapter 14. Let's just stay right there in the last chapter. Well, we'll flip once. Here is the one big idea in the book. Ready? Ready? Say amen. Amen. Okay, you're like, big idea. It means he's almost done. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? The Lord wants to restore the backslider. That's the big idea. The Lord wants to restore the backslider. And this book is God's book for backsliders. You say, how do we deal with backsliders? The book of Hosea. It's got all the information in it. And in chapter 14, gives you God's method for restoring backsliders. You say, what is God's method for restoring backsliders? What does he do? Let's just break down chapter 14. It has all of it right there. Here, God's taking them through a lot of stuff. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Chapter 14 is okay. Now I'm going to show you how to fix it. Ready? Number one, if you're writing steps down. Number one, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. You want to restore a backslider? Number one, you must return to the Lord. Right? Amen. He'll... before you f- see, we think I got to fix myself up Amen. and then come back. To- no, you got to come back first. That's right. Then he fixes you That's up. Right. I went out to the far country and I think 1999, I was saved in 98. I stepped away. I stopped going to church. Nothing good happens when you stop going to church. Amen. I know there's so many excuses. And if you're watching at home, you might be thinking, no, 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 but I have a valid excuse. No, there is no valid excuse. That's right. I had some great valid excuse. I was going to do this. <laughs> I was going to make a movie with my friends. You want to know what the valid excuse is? I was going to make a movie and enter into these film festivals and become famous. That was, my, that was my big valid excuse. So I said, I can't do all this filming, you know, and go on location. And, 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 and so I got to stop church for a few months. The worst summer of my life. Amen. The worst summer of my life. I just ended up doing things, being things, and saying things that I never thought I'd ever do or say or think ever again after being in church for a few months. So I stepped away. And you know what I did? I came crawling back. I think during an anniversary and Mel Sabaka was preaching. I was like a wounded soldier just <laughs> limping in. And Mel was preaching something. I don't know what he, was, I don't know what he said. <laughs> it was probably good. I just remember being like a, 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 a thirsty man just gasping for air and water. 
And the first thing you've got to do is return to the Lord. What did the prodigal son say? See, this is about a prodigal son right here. The prodigal son said, I will arise and go to my father. That's the first step. God, I want you back. I want to be back with you. That's the first step to healing a backslider. you got to be willing. You see 14.1, he says, You've fallen by your iniquity. What did the prodigal son say? I will arise. See the words? They're important, the words. You're fallen. Get up and get out of the pig pen and come home. Right? Hosea 2.7. Just hold your place in 14 and look at 2.7. Actually, take it from 6. Therefore, behold... He's talking about his nation, right? Remember chapter 2 was about Israel's unfaithfulness? Um, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. Ooh, like Adam and Eve, right? Remember in the Garden of Eden and sin spoiled it? What happened? Thorns and thistles, right? That thorn is connected to sin getting in there, right? I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her path. It was supposed to be paradise with Israel and Jehovah. Like... A husband and a wife, like Adam and Eve in a garden. But sin ruined everything and thorns came in. God says, I'm going to hedge up your way with thorns. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Watch this now. Then shall she say, this is beautiful, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. And that prodigal son had to be on his face, in the mud, feeding on the husks around me, miserable, hungry, saying to himself, how many hired servants do my father have and enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? He said, I will arise and go to my father. Why? Because it was better with me then than it is now. And sometimes the backslider has to hit bottom so hard that he realize it was better when I was with God than it's been now. Amen. You and I, listen, you and I can cajole, beg, borrow, and plead, pray, cry, share verses, but until that backslider comes to the end of himself and starts seeing the mud and the husks and the hogs, you know, sniffing at his ears and realize, what am I doing here? He's not getting up and going. you got to pray that the Holy Spirit of God takes his hand and just puts him under the thumb for a little while and squeezes him down so the husks start to lose their charm. You know what we like to do? What I like to do? I want to air condition the pig pen. I want to make it easy. I want to help. And there's a fine line, but sometimes you just got to pray the Holy Spirit of God, Lord, bring them to the end of themselves. Have mercy, but bring them to the end of themselves. Because until they come to the end of themselves, they're never going to want to return to God. You see, God's final appeal there is return. You've fallen. And like that prodigal son, Israel, and you and I have to remember it was better with God. Number two, here's the second step to go back to chapter 14. First thing, you got to return. Second thing, you must acknowledge your sin as the source of your downfall. You must acknowledge your sin as the source of your downfall, right? 14.2. 
Look what God says. Take with you, you, take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. You've got to acknowledge your sin as the source of your downfall. In verse 2, Israel, who pictures the backslider for us, must reconcile with a holy God before restoration can take place. Right? You walk into the doctor. I'm sick. I got a problem. You confess that. You admit that. Okay, here's some healing medicines. Right? You, you, you're dealing with an addiction. Right? You walk into that AA meeting or that NA meeting. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I got this problem. Right? You, got it. you return and then you acknowledge your problem. Hey, God, I have sinned against you. That's the problem. Nobody wants to acknowledge that problem. Oh, it was my upbringing. My mommy spanked me when I was four. Uh, it's, it's, it's the culture. It's this. No, you have sinned against God. You stepped out on God. You're unfaithful to God. You doubted God. You had no trust in God. And all this noise. We want to make ourselves victims. No. You are a villain, not a victim. I'm a villain, not a victim. You're the only one, Pete. I'm a villain, not a victim. (laughs) That's why you didn't deserve it. (laughs) Look at the prodigal son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. He returned and the first words out of his mouth with his acknowledgement of his sin and his transgression, not against his father first, against God first. You can get some false conversions when it's Esau's tears. Oh, what I did to you, mom, and what I did to you, honey, and you know, blah, blah, blah. That, that'll last for a little while. But until it's like David, Psalm 51, which we read on Tuesday night, against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. When the Holy Spirit humbles you like that, then you get restored. That's what salvation is too, folks. You know that? If somebody's getting saved because they want their life to be better, they want to get, you know, you know, feel better about themselves, or, and here's where it gets real slippery, if they're just getting saved because they're afraid of death and hell, you might even get a false conversion there. Because conversion happens when I have sinned. You're going to hell, not just because of Adam and Eve, because you sinned against a holy God, and the wages of sin is death. So like, you know, Eli, you start with Adam and Eve, but he doesn't finish there, right? And you can start with Adam and Eve, but you can't finish there, because it's not just Adam and Eve, it's just, oh, I got a bum steer. Adam and Eve, you know, got me landed in this mess. No, the Bible says, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Not just Adam and Eve, you sir, you ma'am. That's why a lot of people don't get saved. And that's because we're preaching the wrong gospel. The gospel is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Christ died for our sins. That's the first part of the gospel. It's for a backslider. It's for salvation. You've got to acknowledge, Lord. And that sin might not be, you know, I'm smoking crack. <laughs> that sin might be like, Lord, I doubt you too much. I don't trust you enough. Amen. I'm not faithful enough. Amen. Hey, folks, be good in your heart and mind right now. If the Holy Spirit's bringing anything up, just confess it. Amen. Just confess it. 
Lord, I don't trust you enough. Hey, the Lord's been dealing with me that about a lot lately. I don't trust the Lord like I really think I should. Amen. And I want to. And you know what the first step to healing is? Lord, I'm not trusting you the way I want to Amen. and should. Where it should be. I'm not loving you the way I should be. I'm not as faithful as I should be. I, I, that's, it's just got to start there. Just pour it out. Third, number three, is verse three. You've got to abandon all hope in anything or anyone else to help you. See all the steps are right there. One, two, three. One, return. Two, acknowledge. Three, Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands, you're our gods. For in thee, the fatherless, findeth mercy. Notice, please, that Israel, the backslider, forsakes all the false gods, all the false hopes, all the things she trusted and pursued. Not going to trust the horses, that's the strength of man. Not going to trust the false gods, those are the ideas of man. I'm not going to trust the other nations, those are just other people. I'm just, God, if you don't help me, I'm shot. (laughs) I'm shot. That's a good thing of salvation, too. If people don't realize that forsaking all I trust Him, that's faith, right? (laughs) Hey, man, I'm leaning on Jesus. If Jesus ain't getting me to heaven, I'm shot. That's right. See, how do you know you're saved? Because if Jesus Christ couldn't save me, I'm busted. That's right. As long as he can save me, I'm set. Amen. I'm okay. But if, he, if, he, if, if his blood isn't efficacious, if his blood doesn't work, then I'm done. Yep. You ever done those little renewals in your mind with God? Yep. <laughs> Lord, I just want to remind you that I'm trusting only you for salvation. <laughs> Amen. That's good to remind yourself. God doesn't need to be reminded. But it's good because the devil will come along sometime and say, did you really believe? Did you really trust? Amen. Was it head knowledge or heart knowledge? You know, just, just, just tell the devil, well, if Jesus Christ can't save me, then I'm shot. <laughs> and just let him roar. Keep going there. That's it. Amen. I'm not. <laughs> um, the prodigal son said that to his father right after. What he, after he acknowledged his sin, you know what he said after that? I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Amen. He didn't rely on his pedigree. He didn't rely on any kind of, you know, I deserve this. No, I don't deserve anything. Make me as one of thy hired servants. God showed him mercy. Now, chapter 14. What does the Lord do? I'm going to finish right here. We'll go through this real quick. What does the Lord do when the backslider returns with the right heart? When he returns to the Lord, when he acknowledges his sin, when he abandons anything else to help him but God. You know what God gives him? It's all here in chapter 14. It's laid out like a beautiful recipe. You know what you get? You get eight things. New beginning. Eight things. Number one, verse four. You get healing. First thing he says, I will heal their backsliding. Woo! Amen. Not just forgives them, but cures the cause of their backsliding. Fixes their unfaithfulness. Wow. Number two. I will love them freely. Wow. He loves them unconditionally. He loves them for no reason other than his own goodness. I will love them freely. This is what happens. Number three, verse five. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He says, I'm going to refresh you. I'm going to be like that dew that refreshes the morning grass, that refreshes the lily of the valley. I'm going to bring that sweet water down upon the tender herb and be that spring for you, that refreshment to you. 
Verse 5, He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. You know what he does after he refreshes you? He allows you to grow. You've been on the shelf. You know what God does says? You say, God, I'm sorry. I want to come back, Lord. I want to be back with you, Lord. I want to walk with you again, Lord. I want to feel that sweet smile of your face upon my life again, Lord. I've sinned against you. I've been distracted by news. I've been distracted by media. I've been distracted by self. I've been too into me and what I want, Lord. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I can't help myself. I'm weak. I'm frail. I'm dust. You know my frame, Lord. God says, hey, I'm going to heal your backslidings. I'm going to love you. I'm going to refresh you. My doctrine's going to drop his dew and refresh you. And now, son, you can grow again. I'll restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And I'm going to let you grow again. Notice he talks about a lily. I'm the lily of the valley. Because sometimes he's got to let you go through that valley to let your lily grow. Right? Keep going with me. Chapter 6. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree. You know what he does? He makes you beautiful again. The olive tree, just thought of this. Romans 11, that olive tree is connected with whom? Israel, but also connected with Christ. That's the tree of life, the olive tree. You know what he says he's going to make you beautiful? Is he's going to start making you more like your Savior. I'll make you beautiful. I'll make you more like Jesus Christ. That olive tree, that tree of life. Verse 6, keep reading. And his smell as Lebanon. You know what he's going to do? He's going to give you a sweet savor again. You're going to smell good to God again. You're out in the field. You know, when you're out, you know what you smell like when you're out in the field? I let my dog outside. He comes in here. He comes in. He stinks. I'm like, Copper, you smell like outside. You know, we're like with God, we're a bunch of dogs. We go out there in the world, we come back into His presence, and think, my goodness, son, you stink. <laughs> but you know, when you get right with God and He heals your backsliding, does all these things, oh, you smell like Christ again. That sweet savor is back. I like that fragrance. Verse number seven. They that dwell under His shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine, the scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. You know what you are? You become fruitful again. The corn's reviving, the vine's growing, you're growing again, you're bearing fruit again. And the last one I'm going to give you, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. New beginning, eight. They that dwell under his shadow. You know what you get last of all? You get fellowship with the Lord. You're under the shadow of his wings again. He that abideth under the shadow, right? He that, oh, Psalm 91, what does that say? I'm going to butcher it. He that dwelleth in the, oh my goodness, come. Yes, shall abide in the shadow of his wing. Psalm 91, 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Right? There they are walking with God again. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good deal. Amen. If any of you are wayward, if any of your heart's drifting, apply God's formula for backsliders. Come on back. You know what God ends the whole book with? An amazing plea to all of us. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. That's an appeal. If you're smart, you'll learn the lesson of Israel. If you're wise, 
you'll learn the lesson of the book of Hosea. If you've got any prudence, you'll return before it's too late. Thanks for your attention tonight. Let's pray.